This week on Myths and Legends, it's the story of Child Roland in the Dark Tower, where we'll follow Roland's quest to the Dark Tower, see Merlin continue to only be helpful when he feels like it, and see why you should never walk counterclockwise around a church. Then, on the Creature of the Week, you'll see why you should be saving your fingernail clippings. It's so you can make a little baby. That might just eat your soul. This is Myths and Legends, episode 123, Directions. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, it's the story of Child Roland in the Dark Tower, a story probably most famous for inspiring Stephen King's Dark Tower series though I think that his was based more off the Robert Browning poem than this particular fairy tale. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away, so we'll just talk about the differences between the two main versions after I actually finish the story. What? Child Roland said, throwing up his hands while running a wide victory lap. Did you all see that? Did you see that? His sister, Ellen, replied that yes, yes they did. You kicked a ball. Congratulations. Yeah, over the church, Roland beamed. Ellen rolled her eyes again. Yeah, they saw. It was great. Except that that wasn't really the goal, was it? They were all kicking the ball back and forth, and he just launched it over a building. And, okay, he was still doing a victory dance. All right she'd go get the ball and come back. Roland was quick to apologize, running toward Ellen with hand outstretched. He was sorry, he'd go. Wait, no, 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 she shouldn't go that way. But Ellen had already disappeared around the rightmost corner of the church. Roland turned on a heel to his two brothers. They'd seen it too. The trio of brothers had to get to Ellen before they did. The brothers screamed her name, calling her back. She was crossing the wrong way, in their pursuit, the brothers made sure not to make the same mistake as their sister. They'd sprinted around the other side of the church, and it was only when they turned the corner that they saw it. The ball she was carrying thudded to the ground, and what looked like a shadow, a hole that swallowed up all light, was all that was left in the middle of the field. There was no sign of Ellen, just an eye staring back at the boys from the darkness as the shadow sunk in on itself, and the field returned once again, to twilight. Though they couldn't see her, Ellen's screams continued for a moment, fading into the night. She was gone. Ellen was taken off with her shadow to the dark tower. Duh, Merlin said between bites of a sandwich. Didn't she know not to walk counterclockwise around a church? Also, who let you guys in here? I'm a wizard. It's not like I have office hours. The kids were the sons of one of Arthur's earls. One of the few not in open rebellion at the moment. Merlin rolled his eyes. When it came to politics, he didn't care. But when it came to helping a child in need, he cared even less. Still, Arthur needed as much help as he could get right now in a war against Lot. So he couldn't afford to have yet another earl turn against him. Yeah, whatever. Merlin would help. It wasn't like the solution was complicated. Someone just had to go after her, 
she was taken to the Elf King, the Elf King who lived in the Dark Tower in the fairy world. The eldest brother stepped forward. What would it take? Merlin shrugged, dabbing sandwich from his mustache. The bravest knight in Christendom? Come on, who was going to do that for the daughter of a minor earl? The brother narrowed his eyes. He would do it. He would rescue his sister and prove his valor to the wizard. Oh, hey, buddy, once again, I do not care at all, Merlin reminded the boy. I would say don't go getting yourself killed to prove something to me, but if that's going to get you out of my chambers faster, then by all means, prove away. The boy puffed out his chest. If that was his quest, then he would do it. He would prove himself to be the greatest knight in all of Christendom and rescue his little sister. Merlin rolled his eyes as all three brothers turned in unison and left the room, leaving the wizard alone with the rest of his sandwich. Your brothers are dead, aren't they? And seriously, who is letting just any kid wander this castle? Merlin commented and then sighed. He waved Roland into his office and told the boy to shut the door. Roland was nearly in tears. He didn't know what else to do. His brothers had crossed the church Wittershins, the actual name for going counterclockwise around something, and they hadn't come back. It was a week after the first one disappeared that the second one went, and now it had been nearly a month with no word from any of them. The boy said getting to the fairylands wasn't difficult, but he didn't know how to survive it. He was now asking for Merlin's help. Merlin sighed. That was more than his brothers had done. Sure, he would help. Did Roland have a sword? Roland shook his head. He was 11. The only sword he'd ever seen was his father's. Steal it then, Merlin said with a shrug. The boy would definitely need a sword. Roland was quick to object. His father would kill him. Why was Merlin laughing? If Roland didn't take the sword, the elves would kill him. The wizard chuckled. If he took the sword and he was successful, his father would praise him for saving his heir. If he wasn't, well, he'd be dead, so he probably wouldn't care that much. Merlin continued. Regardless, you must steal the sword because you're going to have to use it. Like, a lot. When you get to the fairylands, you're going to have to strike off the head of anyone who greets you. Also, don't eat anything over there. The food's terrible, and you'll probably get stuck there forever. Merlin patted the kid on the back. All right, good luck. Now get out of my office. Later that day, Roland looked on the weapon. The sword hung in the hall. Between the repetitions of Merlin's two warnings playing over and over in his head, Roland kept circling back to one additional thought. He could not go. Like, if he didn't steal the sword and walk counterclockwise around the church, he would be safe. And with his brothers gone, he would be the heir. He would even be Earl someday. Huh. You know, maybe his brothers had been fools. Boys with their heads full of stories of knights and princesses. Maybe he could justify that they deserved it. But his sister? She had been a little girl and hadn't known any better. It wasn't her fault that the medieval world was stupidly dangerous to the point where you could be kidnapped by monsters for nothing more than walking the wrong way around a church. Roland looked again at the sword and knew that he only had moments to act. 
he had given his tutor slash bodyguard the slip, and his mother had been called to the garden. He was going to save his family. With a deep breath, Roland pulled the sword carefully from the wall, stuck it through his belt, and made his way to the church. Standing in front of the building, he heard the bells back at his parents' castle. They knew he was gone. He took a deep breath and started his run toward the right side of the church. The setting sun was blinding as Roland slowed to a walk. From his talks with Merlin, he knew that this was part of it. Walking toward the sun put your shadow behind you. It put all the shadows behind you. No matter what, he promised himself that he would keep walking. But then, he felt the hand. It was a hand that seemed to be made out of pure darkness, pure shadow, and it gripped his shoulder and pulled him backwards. Though everything screamed out within him, telling him to run toward the light to save himself, he resisted until the last light of his world shrunk to a pinprick and went out. It was time. With one motion, Roland pulled out his stolen sword and spun around. As the blade cut into the bean, whatever it was, it dissipated in smoke and shadow. The boy looked around. It was still night here. Wherever that was, it seemed to be very nearly morning, almost the opposite of his world, where it had been nearly night. Roland put his sword back into his belt and began his walk except the horizon was dark and he had no idea where he was going. Roland's going to ask for some directions and that will go horribly, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. About an hour later, the sun began to rise in the fairylands, and Roland came across a horse herd up ahead, caring for the horses of the Elf King. They were almost completely like normal horses, except their eyes glowed red and they were skeletal. The man nodded at the sword-wielding 11-year-old, and Roland continued on. But then, the boy had an idea. He turned to the horse herd and asked the man if he knew where the dark tower was. It was then that his heart sank. He tried to scream out, Wait! Don't answer, but it was too late. The horse herd had woken up early that morning to feed and brush the horses, even though they were terrifying skeletons with neither skin nor organs of any type and needed neither of those things. He had kissed his wife, still slumbering in bed, and walked across the room to his five children bundled in their bed. It was a tough elf life for them, but a lot of elves had it worse, and so they were grateful for what they had. With a whistle, he left the house that morning and started caring for the horses. It was weird to see a kid that small with such a massive sword out on the road this early, but the horse herd was always happy to help a stranger. The boy looked like he was grimacing as the horse herd helpfully gave him directions. The dark tower was a ways off, but if he went down the road to the cow herd, he could give more detailed instructions. The boy, instead of saying thank you, apologized. The horse herd wasn't sure what all that was about, but the boy mumbled something about a wizard, and one of the two things the wizard had said. Without warning, he ran the horse herd down and stabbed him in the chest. Apologizing profusely, he lined the sword up against the man's neck, the apologizing neither helping the situation nor really making Roland feel all that better. Roland was so shaken by the man's accusing glance that he ran away from the pen as fast as possible, leaving it open for all the horses to run away. As the sword bounced against Roland's side, he consoled himself as best he could. At least he had killed an evil elf, right? 
He slowed to a jog as he neared the cow herd, milking the cows. Panting, he put his hands up above his head before resting on the man's fence. Oh, hey, so I'm looking for the dark tower and... Wait, wait, don't say anything. Ah, come on, Roland, the boy said, chastising himself. The cowherd was apologetic. He didn't know, but the henwife down the road would. She was super nice. Roland looked like he was feeling a little rough around the edges. Do you want to come in for some tea or something? Hey, what are you doing with that sword, kid? Kid? Hi, my name is Roland. Please don't speak or I'll have to kill you. I just want to know how to find the dark tower. If you can point me in the right direction, that will be enough. If that's not sufficient, I have a stick here so you can draw me directions in the dirt. Just please don't say anything. The henwife looked confused and pointed west. Roland winced, and then he realized she hadn't said anything. Oh, nice. Okay. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, the henwife said, and went back to spreading seeds for her chickens, who, of course had terrifying little glowing red eyes. Then she stopped. I just... Yup, Roland said, removing his sword from his belt. And that means... Yup, Roland said, and chased after the woman. Wait, there's more, the woman shouted as she ran. To get to the dark tower, you have to go counterclockwise around the three terraces and say, open wide, open wide, let me inside. Open fast, open fast, let me in at last. Is that, is that enough to let me live? Roland sighed and shook his head. Thanks for the heads up, but no. Sorry. Several minutes and one dead, but surprisingly quick hemwife later, and Roland began to see the dark tower looming on the horizon, if Merlin was to be believed. And Roland really hoped that this was the case, since he had just killed three people on the wizard's advice, then the elf king held the boy's siblings as prisoners in the tower, if they were still alive. It was midday when he reached the base of the dark tower, and even though the sun was in the sky and the flowers were in bloom, he could still see his breath. He looked up, eyes scanning the impossibly large, warped tower as it spiraled up into the clouds, all Tim Burton style. Roland approached the base of the structure and noticed the three turrets. He remembered the advice of the kind but ill-fated hemwife and began his walk. It took him until nightfall to circle the pillars and say the rhymes for each one, Thinking that this was a weird way to get around just building a door, he uttered the final words, and he was immediately enveloped by darkness. The air grew stale, and he could no longer see the sky, but he knew exactly where he was. He had made it inside the dark tower. He felt around and found some stairs, and Roland's eyes gradually began to adjust. The tower's arches were encrusted with silver and various other glowing stones, and they slowly came into focus. It was warm inside, warmer than he had felt in the fairylands, but never mind. He needed to climb, and so he did. Though he didn't know how long he climbed, the tower held nearly complete darkness, save for the luminous stones. This was an endless spiral staircase, and Roland had to stop several times to catch his breath. Finally, feeling like he couldn't take another step, Roland came to the end of the staircase. Before him stood two massive iron doors, ten times his size. Breathing heavily, he leaned on the door to rest and fell over into the hall of the Elf King. The iron doors had flown open at his touch, which seems like a really counterproductive thing for iron doors to do, but 
that's what happened. Roland rose to his feet. Here he was, at the top of the dark tower. And it really hadn't been all that difficult either, just decapitating three helpful people and a lot of walking. Inside, the pavilion wasn't really a hall at all. It was one giant penthouse balcony at the top of the dark tower. As Roland stood, he looked out, but didn't see the rolling hills of the fairylands that he passed on his way in, but an ever-expanding carpet of clouds. The pavilion was the size of a small hill, and the roof was supported by pillars of gold, around which someone had wrapped wreaths of flowers made from ruby, sapphire, and topaz stones, accented with emerald leaves. In the middle, hanging from a golden chain, was a massive lamp crafted from a hollowed-out pearl that illuminated the hall with the light of a dying star. As he passed his 15th solid gold pillar covered in countless precious gemstones, Roland rolled his eyes. Okay, we get it. The elf king was super rich and powerful. Sometimes less was more, though, you know? Then, he stopped. At the end of the hall, sitting on the throne, was Ellen. Roland was confused. He knew he would find her here, at least, that's what the sketchy wizard had indicated. But she wasn't a prisoner. She sat like a queen. She sat combing her smooth golden hair with a golden brush. Ellen stared at Roland with dead eyes as he approached her face like stone. When he got within 10 paces of her, he shook his head. That's when she finally opened her mouth. God pity you, you fool. What are you here to do? Roland grimaced. And, as soon as she finished that sentence, he remembered the command from Merlin. He was to cut off the head of anyone who spoke to him in Elfland. Was this a trick? Or was his sister actually secretly the Elf Queen, or what? Either way, he knew what he had to do. Like it or not, he was sorry, he told her, drawing his father's sword from his belt, like each time before. But Ellen wasn't like the cow herd, the horse herd, or the hen wife. She didn't run. She only looked at him with that same stony glare. He raised the sword above his head and brought it down upon his sister. Her head thudded to the ground, and a stillness came over the hall. Her body dropped and rolled away from the throne. Roland looked at the body, and the blood on his sword, and then the enormity of what he had done washed over him. He had killed a sister, the person he had come here to save. He started weeping and ran to her head, picking it up and holding it close. And it smiled. In a moment, it and the body were gone. The hall, too, was no longer empty. In the center was a long table filled with food. His sister sat at the feast, head attached, and not looking serene or stone-faced as before. This time, she looked scared, like a nine-year-old who was barely keeping it together in the hall of the Elf King. She looked like his sister. Roland ran to her and embraced her, tears streaming down her face. She told him that he should have stayed at home. He could have lived a long life there. He had passed the test that his brothers could not. They were now chained in the darkest dungeon because they hadn't been able to cut off her head. Ellen turned to Roland she was glad she was safe, but he had jumped to that, like, super quickly. Whatever. At this point, Roland had been traveling all day without eating anything, and he was now very hungry. So he asked his sister if she had any food. Though they had just been talking normally, she replied coldly and in monotone that she did. Here, with a wave of her hand, a golden basin full of bread and milk, though hopefully not mixed together, appeared before them. The story says that it was customary to thank someone, quote, 
with your eyes at the time. Not sure how that works or why you wouldn't just give a verbal thank you, but it was fortuitous that Roland stuck to that custom. You see, even though his sister offered him the food, Ellen's eyes screamed out to him, begging him not to eat any of it. Literally, the only other thing Merlin had said to him was that when he was in Fairyland, he shouldn't eat anything or he would never be able to return to Middle-earth. That's what Merlin had called it. Without hesitation, Roland stood and threw the golden bowl to the ground. The milk and bread sloshed everywhere, and Ellen breathed again. He had done it. He had passed the test. Not a sup will I swallow, not a bit will I bite, till fair bird Helen is set free, Roland declared. Then, there was a crack of thunder from somewhere off in the distance, but Roland saw no lightning. Ellen shuddered, Roland's eyes flew to the iron doors. He'd felt it too. It was a malaise, a darkness. The elf king was coming. Fee fi fo fum, I smell the blood of a Christian man. Be he alive or dead, my brand shall dash his brains from his brain pan. The iron doors flew open, and darkness hit the room like an ocean, swallowing all of them. When it subsided, Roland stood and gripped his sword. The boy narrowed his eyes. He liked his brains in his brain pan. Also, the elf king really needed to learn anatomy, unless elves were fundamentally different from humans, in which case he could have a pass on that one, because it's not like Roland knew everything about chimpanzees or something. Anyway, back to the point. It was go time. He'd been waiting for this ever since he stepped into fairyland. Now, Roland, the guy who had stolen a sword the previous day, and since then had been in exactly three fights that were less fights and more so straight-up murder, was way more confident than I would have been when fighting an ancient incarnation of evil in his own tower. But Roland, brandishing his family sword, yelled, Strike, bogey, thy hardest if thy darest, and boldly challenged the elf king. That uh, wouldn't have been my choice of words if I just saw a nine-foot-tall monster burst through the door and talk about scooping my brain from my skull, but that's what he said. Maybe it was truly that skill didn't matter only bravery. After all, Merlin had said that only the bravest knight in Christendom could defeat the Elf King. Maybe all it took was Roland facing his fear to win the battle. Like, the victory was in him the whole time, sort of thing. I have no idea why the Elf King was actually flagging against an untrained child haphazardly swinging a sword around. I mean, maybe the Elf King just wasn't used to fighting because none of the warriors that came from our world got past his tricks. Regardless, it immediately started going very badly for the Elf King, because the kid was actually winning. Cut to ten minutes later, when, not a scratch on him, Roland was wailing on the prostrate form of the Elf King, and the monster finally yielded, begging him to stop. Roland stood over him, triumphant. He demanded to have his brothers brought to him. In the blink of an eye, the boys were there in their golden coffins. Roland looked on the Elf King and raised his sword. The elf king flinched, and Roland declared that he would grant the king mercy if he released Roland's siblings from their spells and enchantments and let them go back to Middle-earth. The elf king looked confused, but then shrugged and snapped his fingers. That's what you asked for? Roland screamed in his office three days later. Roland had his sword to the elf king's neck. He could have asked for anything. Roland put his arms around his smiling brothers and sister 
He had all he needed right here. No, no, no. You don't understand, Merlin said. This wasn't some after-school special where he learned the power of family or something. Merlin meant that Roland could have single-handedly stopped the attacks from the land of the fairies. Kelpies, selkies, banshees, crazy little naked guys who shot people with deadly arrowheads. Merlin asked if Roland knew how many people disappeared each year to monsters from the fairyland. No? That's because no one did. They were super good at abducting people. Like, even if you didn't accidentally walk counterclockwise around a church. Roland beamed. He was very lucky then to have made it back after all the heads he chopped off. He'd done what Merlin said, by the way, and cut off the head of anyone who talked to him. Merlin blinked a couple of times. Why, why did he chop off all their heads? Like, of normal people? Roland paused. I mean, yeah, they just seemed like regular people. They actually helped him find the Dark Tower. Merlin mumbled something about that being a bummer. Roland really only needed to pass the test and decapitate his fake evil queen sister. He didn't need to kill everyone in Fairyland that talked to him. What was he, a sociopath? A wide-eyed Roland stood there, speechless. Why not say that, then? The wizard waved it off. He was sorry. You know, he was honestly just used to dealing with these knights. And not all of them were as smart as an 11-year-old. You needed to give them clear, simple commands. And even then, they found a way to screw things up. You know, for instance, just the other day, Gwen came back with a woman's head around his neck. Ugh. You know, though, maybe that's why the people of Fairyland hate us and they're constantly capturing and imprisoning anyone who gets close. Because I just tell anyone who goes over there to decapitate first and ask questions later. In retrospect, too, I shouldn't have told you not to eat. I mean, you guys ate, right? Ellen and the brothers who have been captured nodded. Yeah, Merlin continued. Eating in someone's house is like an international symbol of peace and hospitality. He might not have been able to hurt you then. You know, yeah, that's definitely why they all hate us and kill us any chance they get. People just keep going in there, cutting off all their heads, refusing nice dinners. Roland stood and thanked Merlin for his help. And after Merlin handed Ellen his card and, with a wink, told her if she wanted to learn magic in a few years, she knew where to find him, Roland left Camelot and started for home. Together, the children grew up. One brother became the Earl, another a priest, and Roland... Roland became the bravest knight in the land, if we're ignoring all actual King Arthur canon. Ellen became a true queen, and she never walked Wittershins around a church again. This version was collected by English writer Joseph Jacobs, and it's a fairy tale put down to paper in the 1800s. As I talked about at the top of the show, even though this story includes Child Roland in the Dark Tower, I'm all but certain it wasn't the inspiration for Stephen King's Dark Tower series, since King himself said in an interview that the series was inspired by the 1855 Robert Browning poem called, quote, Child Roland to the Dark Tower Came. Also, really quickly, child doesn't necessarily mean child, it's a term for a young man who's not a knight yet. The Robert Browning poem's interesting, but something I couldn't really craft a story around. Roland's a young warrior, receives some dubious instructions and heads out through a wasteland to the Dark Tower. He reaches it at the end, blows his horn, and the poem ends on kind of an ambiguous note. King apparently really liked the idea of the Dark Tower and its ambiguity, deciding that everyone keeps a Dark Tower in their heart that they want to find. It's something that they know is destructive, and it'll probably mean the end of them, so there's this urge to make it your own or destroy it. I link to the interview in the show notes. Anyway, the Browning poem was inspired by a line from Shakespeare, 
which people think alludes to a folklore story. I don't know how much similarity there is between the fairy tale today and the story that inspired Shakespeare to inspire Browning to inspire Stephen King, but it was a fun story nonetheless. Oh, and real quickly, I added that stuff in about Roland being conflicted about decapitating innocent fairy people. The Roland in the story was not. And also that bit at the end about Merlin deconstructing the whole thing. Anyway, that's the story for this week. And if you're not already listening, we wrapped up season three of Fictional with the end of Count of Monte Cristo, so you can now hear the whole story in its entirety. Check out fictional.fm or just search for Fictional wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the Ilamba from Zambia. If you've ever wanted to have a child, but you really wanted that child to be part snake and grow up to eat people's souls, then the Ilamba is for you. Like a child, the Ilamba comes from you. The recipe is simply blood from your back, chest, and forehead. A dash of your fingernail clippings, magical roots from the forest, and salted taste all combined in a pan. Then do that many, many more times until a baby snake starts to form. Now, I know you're eager for your new baby to get out there and get to killing. Who isn't? But much like a normal baby, your snake monster needs time to grow. Its monstrous little snake teeth haven't developed yet. So it's time to make some baby food. The Alamba prefers porridge and eggs. But you're the parent, so you make the decisions based on what you think is best for your evil mythological creature. One of the cutest, or most off-putting things about the Alamba, depending on your personal vanity, is that even from the moment it's born in your blood and fingernails, it has exactly your face for its entire life. Like a normal human, raising a horrifying homunculus is a lifelong commitment. And for the first five years, you're just going to be mashing up some snake baby food until that thing's fangs develop enough for it to feed on its own. Then, the day will finally come. You'll look to its crib to find the Alamba gone, and then you'll hear a scream from the village. Your creepy little snake you is growing up. It'll use its newly developed fangs to bite someone and steal their soul. To everyone else, it'll just look like they were bitten by a poisonous snake, but the victim will see your face on it and feel their soul leaving their body. Making an Alamba is a commitment to not just your snake baby, but being basically evil for your entire life, because it's a very close relationship. If you die, your snake baby dies, but if your snake baby dies, you die. It's like having your heart walking around outside your body. You might think it's a good idea to keep your snake baby locked up inside the house then, especially since the people of the village are mad that their loved one's souls keep getting stolen, wah wah wah. That would also be a bad idea, because having a taste for soul food, I'm very sorry about that pun, it's not going to want to go back to porridge and eggs. It'll eat you, not realizing that after it does so, it'll die. To get rid of it without dying yourself, you have to be the one to do the deed. If you can do it with your own eyes sadly looking back at you, while trying not to think about the good times together, where it took its first slither, or said its first words, in your voice, you'll be rewarded with the body exploding as all the souls are released, which will then haunt you for every moment of your life until you die. I know this is a controversial position and I'm going to get angry emails about it, but maybe don't create giant soul-eating snakes. It hardly ever ends well. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser. The story editor and producer was Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.